This week on the Iowa Watch Connection, we ring out the old year and ring in the new by taking a look at some of the most popular stories covered by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism in 2016. From free speech on college campuses to legislation concerning treatment of those who suffer a drug overdose, schools not abiding by the Americans with Disabilities Act, and the voices of the voters during a unique campaign season. A look back, a look ahead. Our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism. Online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. And I'm joined in the studio by the executive director and editor of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, Lyle Muller. Lyle, time for our annual year-end conversation about some of the stories that Iowa Watch covered during the year. What are some things that drew some special attention from folks who consumed the product? It's been a busy year, and it might not be a surprise to people that discussions about whether or not there are speech limits on college campuses was our most read story at iowawatch.org. This has been quite a year, as you and I know and all of our listeners know as well, when it comes to what are we hearing or reading. Is it fake? Is it true? Is it politically correct? All of these different things have come into play as college campuses try to deal with speech issues also because college campuses are a place where people ought to be able to have conversations about a wide variety of topics. It should be a marketplace of ideas. Last spring, we asked college student journalists on six campuses to interview a number of people about whether or not there are speech limits on college campuses. And what we found out is that there are people who are trying to find those limits. The University of Northern Iowa was part of this, Buena Vista University, the University of Iowa, a number of other places. And an interesting thing came out of this, Jeff, one was the Museum Institute in Washington, D.C. learned about our project and invited three students from Iowa State University who were in that project and myself to come out and give a presentation about it. That was part of a national discussion. So this isn't an Iowa issue. It's a national issue. Another thing that happened was we were able to hold a forum at Prairie Lights in Iowa City where more than 80 people came to talk about the topic as well. So that was our most read story of the year. It was all about whether or not free speech exists in a country that likes to say there's free speech. And there are lines depending upon what kind of a college it is. For example, on a private college campus, there are more restrictions that can be put in place. I'll get to should in a moment, but can be put in place. But at the University of Iowa, University of Northern Iowa, Iowa State University, the government-owned institutions, these are supposed to be by moral and legal implication, the place where you can be safe in exchanging ideas. And we want to cultivate that. And so it has always seemed paradoxical that we have had these lines that are drawn. And yet we found in our investigation this year that it was on private college campuses where speech sometimes flourished more. At a large university campus, UNI, the University of Iowa, Iowa State, there's such variety that there is a lot of chatter when you hear or see something that is defined as speech, and there's a lot of pushback. The University of Iowa tried having a committee that would take complaints about offensive speech 
and try to figure out how you could resolve issues that arose out of that speech. The committee's been dissolved. It just was impossible to have. Meanwhile, at Cornell College, a small college in Mount Vernon, Iowa, there were issues this spring while we did this project involving different forms of speech that some people felt were offensive. The response at Cornell College was to address it head-on, have community forums, and to continue having dialogue with their students. Now, you can do that on a small college campus like Cornell, unlike you can do at the University of Iowa, where there are a large number of people from different kinds of cultures. Is it a matter that in an effort a good faith effort to be inclusive and sensitive, they wind up straying from the original mission and then stifling the very speech that, as I've suggested, and as I think we agree, is supposed to be cultivated? Some have argued that and argued it successfully. That certainly was brought up at the forum that we had in Iowa City. The bottom line with people, when they talk about whether or not speech should be free on a college campus, which, by the way, the First Amendment says it should be, is that you should be as open as you can about all varieties of speech, not try to decide which speech is offensive and which is not. In other words, let the free speech process take care of itself so that people can have honest discussions back and forth about the issues that are being discussed. That's where we get the phrase marketplace of ideas, where in theory, if all ideas are on display, the public can choose which ones have the most merit, just as if you were going up and down the line of a market looking at produce. What are some of the other stories that drew great attention from the audience this year that Iowa Watch produced? One story that got a lot of attention was during the legislative session, and it was about the Iowa legislature's inability at that time to move on making naloxone available for first responders who are responding to opioid addiction. So a reporter, Lauren Mill Shotwell, who now has left Iowa Watch, did this story. And the issue then was there was concern about whether or not it could be administered properly and just what might this all come about uh, in the end. And the legislature eventually did approved legislation for this to happen. And at the end of the year, the state of Iowa said that now you can have this drug. It's a great uh, way to bring people right out of an opioid overdose. So that was a huge story. Another one was about Iowa school districts not complying with the American Disabilities Act. A reporter, Hannah Sawyer, earlier this year, did a search of the inspections that were done in Iowa schools since the year 2000 and found out that none of them passed ADA inspections except Clear Creek Amana. And that's because Clear Creek Amana had a new school. Well, the problem is these are old buildings and it takes a long time to bring them into compliance with the ADA. But the ADA has been around for a while. 25 years. Yes, it has. And so there were some examples of school districts in these inspections who failed the inspections for ADA who had made improvements, although it might have taken as many as two years to get them done. So that was a huge story as well. And then we did a story about telemedicine abortion. Uh, This was a story done by a Simpson College journalism class. And they wanted to know whether or not abortion was accessible in Iowa. 
And a couple of interesting things came out of this. But first, the story. Telemedicine abortion has increased the access to abortion in Iowa, but the number of abortions is down. And there are a variety of reasons that the story went into. But I want to tell you this story, Jeff, because it shows what goes on when you deal with the educational process. The Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, Iowa Watch, has as part of its mission educating journalism students to do this work at a high level. And so there were some students who came into this project saying, our story is going to be abortion is not accessible in Iowa. They did the research and they found out that it is in Iowa. Now you can make arguments about this and that, but if you compare how close an abortion clinic would be or a clinic that does abortions versus how close a clinic to do other types of medical procedures are, it, there isn't that much difference. So what the students finally confided was, oh my goodness, we had an opinion in this story. We actually went into this with a bias. And so part of their learning process was to set aside that bias and then do a faithful, honest story. The proof for me in this story is that both pro-life groups and pro-choice groups were able to pick up on this story and use it as a factual basis for whatever argument they were making. One of the things I've tried to tell young journalism students is to prove your story is wrong. Most of the time, our instinct is prove it's right. Well, when you go about to prove it's right, you look for all of the things that prove it's right, and you ignore the things that prove it's wrong. So if you look at it from proving it's wrong and can't find anything, then you know you're onto something for your story. You've given it that test. We ran into this a couple of times this year because, again, we work with students where students said we didn't know we had a bias. Not only didn't we know we had a bias, but we also didn't realize that people who think differently than us also intrinsically believe what they believe, not because they're idiots or because they're contrarians or because they have a certain point of view, but rather because they really believe that. And that's a fair and honest opinion. And so the student journalist explored how do you deal with people with different points of view and try to figure out what's fact. And that gets us to what investigative journalism is, and that is trying to sift through all of the opinions out there and create a notion of at least here's where you have some facts, and now instead of taking opinions and turning them into facts, take these facts and turn them into opinions. It's a creative process, it's a learning process, and obviously it's worthwhile. Lyle, please stay here. When we come back, we're not only going to take a look at what may be coming in the coming year, but we'll tell you about how you can help this kind of journalism continue. More when the Iowa Watch Connection continues in a moment. Support for the Iowa Watch Connection comes from the Iowa Insurance Division's Iowa Fraud Fighters Program. This statewide initiative educates Iowans on how to double-check before they invest and shield their savings from scammers. Thousands of Iowans have attended fraud fighter forums across the state to learn about new scams circulating in their area and how to stay a step ahead of fraudsters. Learn how to fight fraud and why it is important to report scams at iowafraudfighters.gov. 
The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein, joined in the studio by Lyle Muller, the executive director and editor of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, online at iowawatch.org. The stories that we've been talking about today, Lyle, as being the most read of 2016, they're all online. You can search for them by keyword at iowawatch.org. There's another story that we have not talked about that was quite popular with those who went to the website. And there's a brand new story that is rapidly becoming consumed by a lot of people. Iowa students go to China and they have the same acclimation issues as Chinese students have in the United States. We've done stories in the past about how students get recruited by the state universities, for example, in Iowa to come here Once they get here, the students didn't feel there was a support system. A couple of things happened. One was all of the Chinese students formed their own community and didn't interact. But second of all, after those stories ran and other stories ran as well, the universities tried to address it and are trying to address that. So something has come out of that. But one of our reporters said, you know what? The same thing happens to American students when they go over to China. There's not a support system, and they all bunch together, and they don't get the Chinese experience. So we did a story about that in March, and that worked out well. It's the number five red story of the year for Iowa Watch. But coming up on that story quickly is a is something that would be published only 10 days in 2016, and it's about well water quality in Iowa. There are about 288,000 private wells in Iowa, and we don't test most of them, virtually all of them, and that's because people just don't feel like testing them. Lauren Mills Shotwell used a Fund for Investigative Journalism grant and went to southwest Iowa all summer and tested 28 wells and found different levels of nitrates, bacteria, in some instances lead, which you wouldn't expect in a private well, and arsenic. So that story has gotten a lot of attention. A lot of uh, news publications have published our story. We've also spread that story with the Fund for Investigative Journalism and some other nonprofit news organizations as well. You know, Jeff, an interesting thing is the most read Iowa Watch stories are not even from 2016, this uh, year that's ending. They are from previous years, which shows that we do have value in these stories. People still are tapping into them because of the useful shelf life that the stories have. So the top read story is actually a 2012 story about stomach tubes to feed elderly. The headlines, stomach tubes to feed elderly, often unnecessary, may be harmful. And you can imagine when someone does a Google search when first encountering this type of issue, when they see a headline like that. And there still are a lot of comments. People comment on that story frequently. We update it all of the time. So a lot of stories to be read there at Iowa Watch, stories about study drugs popular for college students that has been done in the past and was popular this past year. Also dealing with college students, and by the way, we don't just write about college, I know it sounds that way, but students battling depression, 
when they're trying to graduate from college, a story that still gets a lot of attention. And then this is one of my favorites. It's about graffiti. Is it art or is it vandalism? In the story, you'll find out that the answer is both. These are not stories. And I think this helps explain why there are so many hits every year for news stories and for older stories. These are not stories that are cranked out in an afternoon. They are not ones that are subject to the day's news. These are long-term investigations. First of all, why are they not done by more people these days? And second of all, it seems to me that when you're committing that kind of amount of resources to a single story that takes some period of months, that does not come cheap does not come cheap. They take an awful lot of time. So Lauren Mills Shotwell spent a summer on one story. By the way, that was just the well testing. She started her research in December 2015, finally turned in her stories. A little after Thanksgiving, we were able to produce those at the end of December. So that is a whole year for just one package of stories. These things take a lot of time and they take resources. A lot of good investigative journalism is going on in Iowa. Tony Lays over at the Des Moines Register told us this year when we interviewed him about one of his stories that he prefers doing investigative reporting out of a beat instead of sitting in a room and brainstorming ideas about what we should cover. One of our former reporters, someone who worked with us on a Simpson project, Kate Hayden, has just started a five-part series on dealing with mental illnesses in jails, and that's for the Charles City Press. That's a pretty small newspaper to be uh, investing into investigative reporting. So a lot of these newspapers are, are doing things, but it takes an awful long time because we're trying to get every minute detail we can. Vetting the information takes a long time. And this is the, the struggle that you have to cover the daily news or news on a beat, but there are also stories that take a long time to tell, a long time to report and a long time to tell. There has to be room for both so that we are informed as a citizenry. The Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism recently has gotten a unique opportunity as we look forward to 2017 and being able to support the journalists who do this work. We've not talked about it on this program before, Give me an explanation of of this new opportunity. The Knight Foundation has included Iowa Watch with 57 news organizations nationally that they selected, the foundation selected, to receive funding from that uh, organization. And it's happening through something called the Knight Match Grant or the Knight News Match Grant. So with the Night News Match Grant, every dollar donated to Iowa Watch until January 19th is matched by the Knight Foundation with another dollar. Or as I like to say, every $50 is matched with another $50. And this is up to $1,000 per individual or up to $25,000 total for Iowa Watch. This allows Iowa Watch to produce this journalism, share them with media partners, whether it be our newspaper partners or the Iowa Watch Connection radio network, and all of these different places where our news is produced, and also the training that we do. We're pretty gratified by this fact because I got an email out of the blue from Jennifer Preston, an official at the Knight Foundation, saying, you've been selected, and the and the thing starts soon. So... Uh, every $1 to Iowa Watch, matched by a dollar, by the uh, night news match, and we have a donate button 
on our iowawatch.org homepage. So that's where people can go if they want to help us out. And that's an interesting option for people. If they donate before the end of the calendar year, that's a tax benefit for 2016. If they donate after January 1st, that will go for their tax year 2017. But for Iowa Watch, it is essential because, as you say, every $5, every $50, every $100 that's donated by an individual is automatically doubled. And that exponential benefit really makes the difference between a few stories that are produced by this organization in 2017 and several stories. Yeah, it's huge for us. And I will tell you, as a longtime journalist, the notion of telling people to give to Iowa Watch is a little bit weird. That's not the type of thing you grow up in a newsroom expecting you're going to do later in life. But I believe in this project. I believe in this center. The, we'll have our anniversary here in February. We'll be seven years old. That's pretty young, but it's also a good long lifetime in the world of nonprofit journalism. So I think it would be uh, gratifying if people wanted to donate to Iowa Watch because we do have things coming up in 2017. We're going to be working with high school students on journalism projects to see if they can get to the truth and learn how to do this the right way, not the way they see caricaturized on, say, television, and maybe not network television so much, but cable. And uh, we're going to work with college students again this coming spring to do the same thing. So we're excited about that. We're also working with the University of Northern Iowa on a science in the media project, which will focus on reporting facts about science and letting opinion grow out of facts instead of the other way. Lyle, thank you for your work and for the collaboration that allows me to sit here each week and talk to people about this great journalism. Well, back at you, Jeff. Thank you for the work you're doing. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week in a new year at this same time. In the meantime, you can connect with us online, iowawatch.org. Follow us on Twitter at Iowa Watch, and be sure to use the hashtag IAWatchConnection when commenting about the program. We're on Facebook, too, facebook.com slash iowawatch. And you can let us know your thoughts about this program or suggest ideas for future programs by email. The address is radio at iowawatch.org. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.